<coughs> theme for the afternoon talk is <coughs> the construction of the personality. When we look around in this world at other human beings as well as looking within, we observe the varieties and differences between people and those uh, uh, differences uh, reflect in a variety of ways physically of course there are uh, differences uh, between us there are uh, uh, difference in the languages or the forms of language uh, that we speak there are differences in the inner persona of our life the kind of uh, way we present ourselves, so to speak, uh, to the world and to, our, to ourselves. And this movement of the inner life we, we refer to as the, the persona. And you and I will say to each other, oh, I met this kind of person or that person, or she or he had this personality or that personality. And we like to classify groups of people and ourselves as well, we say, oh, he or she is terribly extroverted and he's very introverted and whatever, she's a real feeling person, he's a real thinking person and she or he is a don't know who she is person and all of this. <laughs> and we say it of the same of ourselves as well. So these movements take place and we're somewhat enchanted and a little infatuated at times with this the presentation of the persona, of the, per, of the personality. It has reached such a point, it's rather sad and tragic, that we have to have these, generate these gods of the persona. Uh, we call them uh, celebrities, or celebs uh, uh, for short. And they become or gain some kind of iconic status. They are, uh, uh, we are told rather sadly, that they are the successful ones. Uh, they've made it because they have two uh, desirable forms for far too many human beings. Um, they have um, name and fame and they have money. And in a sick society, and we live in one, the elevation <coughs> of name and fame and money often overshadows and matters much, much more than anything else at all. It's been uh, reached a place of exaggeration to, to the point that more and more people, sadly, hopefully not in this room, will measure themselves by those who are, quote-unquote, very successful. And this elevation, this projection of the personas who are successful, who are ambitious, who are competitive, who drive themselves very uh, hard, casts its shadow over us. And one of the shadows that it casts over far too many uh, human beings that we do not feel as good as. We are not really as successful as. 
what are we doing with our lives? <clears throat> and therefore the creation of the gods, the secular gods, the film star gods who are marvellous at being somebody who they are not, and the gods of uh, sport and entertainment. We, we've got ourselves in a rather sad position of lowering our own deep value as a human being and easily impressed by the gods. The proof of it is if you are ever unfortunate enough to meet one and you feel nervous, you have just exaggerated the importance of that person. That's the proof. And we, as men and women uh, of the earth, are in an important area of trying to recover ourselves. We're trying to discover who we are without living or impressed by the worlds of the secular gods. And that means for us looking into our persona, our personality. What, what is manifesting and coming through us and what impact does that have upon others? And that requires from us um, some real um, care and vigilance because what really matters in life has nothing to do with personality. What really is important is of another uh, dimension, another uh, league uh, altogether. There. And, and therefore the, the world of authority, the exaggeration of its place uh, there, somehow with any, and including here in India with the gods, including in, here in India with the gurus, including here in this uh, uh, very room, the lowering of the temperature of the other, the lack of wish to elevate uh, the other, and I should say this very quickly, I'm only sitting on here so I can see those at the back, no, no other purpose, just, just to make the point. And so if we lower the temperature of the elevation of the other, whoever she, he or they are, not in a state of aversion, not through a reaction of the personality, but we see the others more equally. We see the person as a human being. We remind ourselves that the person sits or squats on the toilet every morning just to keep a balanced view. It will help, it will contribute to a recovery of ourselves because we lower ourselves when we elevate the other. And religion has specialised in this. the specialisation of the individual, dead or alive, and, and the consequences of that, instead of take a, a, a tradition of real inquiry, the substitute, and it's a very poor one, is devotion. Devotion to the other. The elevation of the other. And there are things in life being worth devoted to, but the elevation of the other Never, in my poor view. Which is not a bad one. <laughs> so, if we can see the other, whoever they are, as 
a human being, then, as the Buddha commented, we have ears to listen. Not ears to grasp onto, oh, she must be right because she or he is so great. He or she is so profound or he or she is whatever he or she is supposed to be. But if we really engage in the heart of listening, we won't regard the persona of the other as having some great transcendental status. And then we have ears to listen. If I may say, just go... uh, (coughs) I'll try not to get nostalgic, but I'll make a little reference to the past here. In the ten years that I spent uh, 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 here in the East, I had the uh, privilege, (coughs) and I regard it as a a privilege, of um, meeting with some very wise and uh, wonderful uh, human beings uh, in the East, especially in Thailand and especially uh, here in India. And during a two and a half year period of uh, being in this uh, country without uh, uh, leaving it, during that time, I went and uh, listened, of course, to uh, the Dalai Lama. Of course, I'd met a couple of times because he went to receive teachings from my teacher in Thailand, Ajahn Buddhadasa, uh, when I was there. I met with uh, Krishnamurti and Vimala Takar and Nisargadatta and um, Ananda Mayamar and Bhakti Vedanta and Punjaji and many, many, uh, many others, north, south, east and west over this uh, 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 country, and had the privilege, as I mentioned, of, as the Buddha said, lending an ear. Doesn't ask, doesn't even ask for two ears, neither am I. Just one will be more than enough. So he said, just go and lend an ear. Don't give yourself over. Don't sacrifice yourself over. Stay grounded and lend one ear. And in that lending of the ear, I found for myself, and hopefully others do, that in that sometimes something touches. Something wakes us up a little bit. Something alerts us. And sometimes the waking up, I found for myself, being a slow learner, took days, weeks, months, years, probably lifetimes, decades for sure later. Something which I heard from one of these teachers and my own teachers, Ajahn Buddhatasa and Ajahn Tamadro, decades later, the seed was planted, the life moved on, and then one day, wow, now I get it. Now I understand. Now it's clear. Through, just through lending an ear. That's all. Just through lending an ear. And that... Um, in, in the Pali language, the Buddha uses the term upasok upasika. Those of you who know the Buddhist world will be familiar. And the, it's translated, it's rather bizarre, it's translated as men and women who are householders. That's how it's got translated, very conveniently by the monks. <coughs> the actual meaning is one who sits near with. That's what it means. One who sits near with. So when you and I go to teachings, such as here this afternoon, and hopefully in other parts of the world, uh, east and west, we sit near with. We lend an ear. 
And we see in that exchange, which is called the discourse, that takes place, the receptivity of ears, mind and heart. That receptivity is precious because it is one of the primary uh, expressions of insight and understanding which can come to us just through sitting near with and lending an ear. That's why we love the teachings. That's why we're, we're w- willing to lend an ear. And sometimes, though it, afterwards I thought I must be mad, that we, some of us were in Dalhousie, up in the foothills of the uh, uh, Himalayas. And I had listened on, only on tape to J. Krishnamurti. I had a reminder because someone in one of the ones today is expressing appreciation for this uh, uh, old master. And, and being up in Dalhousie, he was teaching south of Chennai. Now it's a little bit of a hike from top to bottom of this uh, country. At that time, the train journey from Delhi to Chennai, this is about 1975, was about 60 hours. But to get from Dalhousie to, to uh, Delhi was, I can't remember, hours and hours, 15 hours. Some of you will know better than I. And I thought, do I really want, I was a monk at the time, go down to Chennai, listen to one hour talk, this man, and m- then make the journey up to Dalhousie? Yes, I do. <laughs> oh, yes. And Sometimes we do things, we extend ourselves. Of course, I can't remember a word what he said. I mean, you know, there's no profound wow uh, there. But sometimes we extend ourselves because we feel it's beneficial to sit near with and lend an ear. And it's not about improving our personality or being a nicer person or a good person, or doing good, or whatever, something appeals to us, something bigger than the personality, something which is insightful and uh, awakening, and that which we can respond to. And the the Dharma, uh, bless its heart, has, is not ignoring the personality, but it recognises as in um, Shakespearean plays, and I'm madly in love with uh, Bill Shakespeare and his plays. And in the, in the plays, the uh, actors, <coughs> she or he, they would often wear a mask. And the Latin for mask is persona, personality. So sometimes the pers- your persona, my persona, your personality, my personality, hides something, not of personality. We are interested in working with our problematic aspects of our personality in order to hold it lightly, in order for something other to shine through in a way despite our personality. <laughs> Sometimes, in the, um, the tradition, I must say the Buddhist tradition, I, well, not, 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 not all, I have to say, but um, has appreciated humour. 
it's a, one of the, the vehicles. And it's a vehicle because the aspect of humor uh, in life is that when it touches us, and of course humor varies, but when it touches us, it brings a feeling response. Humor touches the, the feelings, it touches a, a feeling response. And that expression of the, the heart's response allows in the listening, sometimes the follow-up from it, for something true, authentic, or genuine, or precious to reach us, to, tu- uh, to touch us, the power of, of humour. And I had a small memory of, of this today, and those of you from, from Germany, you know, I beg your f- forgiveness, but you'll, you'll get it in a moment. I saw on the front page of the newspaper today that the Pope, bless him, uh, has, for the first time in 600 years, he's from uh, Germany, used to be called Cardinal Ratzinger, has resigned today. Yes, first time a Pope has resigned in 600 years. Some will, I know, some will say, Allah is merciful, I know. (laughs) (laughs) And and so, they want to know, what what is the reason for his his resignation uh, there? And he has put out a statement to the world that he has decided to uh, resign in his book. Um, old age, his faculties are getting weaker, he's in his I think, mid-late uh, 80s and I think wisely and thoughtfully he said enough is enough um, that's the official version <coughs> but the unofficial one which has been doing the rounds <laughs> is that the Pope was praying very very intensely to God because he's the Pope, he's God's rep isn't he, on earth so he's so he's praying to God, and for the first time ever, God appeared to him. Oh, wow, wow. Oh, God, God's, come, God's come down. And God said to him, um, Pope G, or Pope. You know. <laughs> <laughs> you know. said to him, Pope G, um, I've just got three questions to ask. And the Pope said, please, please ask. I mean, just, I am your servant. I'm your representative on earth. I am the head of the church. Please ask. And the, he said to the Pope, will you permit birth control? Not in my lifetime. No, 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 no. It's church doctrine, church canon, not in my lifetime. And he turned to the Pope, he said, Will you permit a priest to get married? Marriage? Women? Married? Priest? <laughs> no. Not in my lifetime. No, no, no. Will you um, allow divorce? Will you permit divorce? No, no. Not, not in my lifetime. Okay, okay. The Pope then turned to God and said to God I just have one question to ask will there be another German Pope and God said not in my lifetime (laughs) 
I thought it was brilliant. <laughs> so sometimes we kind of can protest. You know, some of us, like me, uh, feel, you know, the women could, should be priests, divorce should be easier, definitely a real necessity to support, actively support birth, con- birth control for the gay and lesbian community to have absolutely full and equal rights to allow full uh, uh, marriage and, and not in any way be anything else but full and total citizens. The church objects to all of this. And many of us feel that we just can't connect with uh, such ways of, uh, uh, ways of thinking. And sometimes the, the protest in the form of humour sometimes is more effective than the long rant. And I thought that was one good example of it. In looking at the persona, there, Dharma, practice and expiration uh, there, is attending and uh, addressing to those influences which require and need our attention, firstly. And uh, the Buddha, in his wisdom, has spoken of them as five hindrances, nivarana, hindrances. To hinder means to get in the way of. And, and there are plenty of hindrances which we experience in India, as we know. So sometimes the hindrances get in the way of. And then when we give attention and inquire into our life and into ourselves, it's that kind of exploration where we use the power of the naming. What I mean by that, sometimes there are some hindrances, that which hinders, that which is unhelpful in our personality, which need to be recognised, acknowledged and named. So one person um, may, may say, um, I'm regularly putting myself down. I have a real habit of undermining myself. Um, I never feel I'm any good at anything. And that's the habit and the hindrance. It's the self-doubt, which is in the language of the Buddha here. Um, another person says, I'm constantly living in desire. I never have any inner peace, because there's always something more that I want. And I'm constantly reaching out. It might be for security, it might be for pleasure, it might be for comfort, it might be for another relationship, whatever. And that reaching out and being dependent on the outcome, dependent for happiness or peace of mind on the outcome, is that a feature of my personality? Can I find another way to act clearly? without that wanting, neediness, dependency on result. Another person, she or he, may look at our personality, look at our personality, and say, what I notice in, in myself is just how much negativity there is. When things are not going the way I, I, I want them to go. How I get irritated with my partner, with my friends, with my family, with uh, others. How I have the tendency to find fault, to blame, 
touched upon this with you uh, uh, yesterday. So that again can be a, a feature of the personality. We name it. We say, this is going on in the persona. This is a hindrance. This is a mask. This is not my true nature. There are things more important than this. But sometimes, as we know, it's no use just saying that. It may not make any real difference. And therefore, we really give some interest and attention uh, to that. Another person may say, the hindrance, these are all references from uh, the Buddha's Dharma here, of course. Hin- hindrance I have is dullness and boredom. That kind of absence or loss of energy and a lack of capacity for renewal. And sometimes, particularly with boredom, which is a, a widespread phenomena, it can be a, a mask, a persona, or a mask, of another mask. What I mean by that, if we regularly there's a lot of boredom in our life, bored with ourselves, bored with others, bored with India, or bored with work, bored with the relationship, bored with being one, with oneself, or whatever. If there's a lot of boredom in the daily life, it usually means that behind it there is anger, there is negativity, there's something unexpressed and unresolved, and the boredom is mask for it, it is covering it up. And how sometimes we're very bored, and then somebody just says, or very tired, or low energy, and somebody just says the wrong word at the wrong time to us, and whoa, the reaction, whoa, the outburst of that energetic, emotionally charged anger. So, the knowing of ourselves and the knowing of some of the deeper layers of ourselves is to really give attention to those aspects of ourselves which are problematic, which are worthy of our uh, looking into. Another one, also very, very common, is stress. uh, As we know, there's a whole um, mindfulness industry of uh, stress. I've written a couple of books with the word mindfulness in the title, I do apologise. And, uh, but there is so much stress in uh, day-to-day life, north, south, east, east and west. And then when we look at this stress and the dreadful pressures upon people from outside and then also from uh, within ourselves and think, well, what is this stress about? If I want to know myself and my personality, what makes me feel most stressed? What kind of situation does this experience of anxiety, worry, stress, tension, when does it When am I most vulnerable to that kind of reactivity? What needs to change with regard to that? And amongst the expressions of stress, 
that uh, arise. When it is arising from within us, one expression of it is, it's a very common one, I want something, might be quite good and fine and nice, I want something, I might be working for what I want, and I fear I won't succeed. I fear I won't get it done. I won't get it complete on time. So two forces inside the human being are rubbing on each other. One is, I want to do this, I want to get there, I want to achieve this, I want to complete this, I want to finish. And the other is, is fear or worry or tension uh, that, or doubt if I can do it. And when those two are rubbing up with each other, stress, stress, stress. And so there are millions of mindfulness programs and courses and workshops and uh, teachings. They're, they're taking place in, uh, in all sorts of environments, in, in schools, in hospitals, in education in government offices, in the corporate uh, centre world, and in uh, people's private lives, and in uh, children, just finding a way to deal with this pressure and stress. And like uh, Nicole, one of our teachers in uh, beloved Germany, uh, she's um, working with the stressed out managers, teaching more or less what we do here, um, to some 40 managers of um, the car manufacturer um, BMW and they are tired of the stress and all the expectations on them of the customers who think that nothing should ever go wrong with the BMW uh, there it should be the perfect machine it's promoted like that and there's all the stress that goes along with it and I said to Nicole that you should mention to them that with all the good work that you are doing that um, the meaning of BMW could change to um, Buddhist meditation workshops. <laughs> she thought, no, they're not very receptive to them. But anyway, can try. So, sometimes the movement in one area, mindfulness, the uh, application uh, uh, of it, Though initially there may not be an ethic in the way that you and I are speaking, maybe no reference to ethic, it's just about reducing stress. But for some, it becomes a stepping stone. For some, it becomes looking a little bit further and deeper there. What are the ethics? Where is the love? Where is the compassion? Where is the sustainability? Where is the wisdom? So when we look at desire, the problematic forms of it, looking at negativity, looking at um, boredom and dullness, looking at stress and anxiety and self-doubt and doubts and so forth, they only exist in personality. They're not found outside of it. They're not in the trees. They're not on the ground. They're not outside you and me. And, of course, other sentient beings, of course, have their uh, uh, personality as well. But we're just dealing with humans at the moment. That's more than enough. 
So the personality lives in a field, in the field called personality, in the field called the inner life. And when you and I just give it a little attention, we, we can ask ourselves quite clearly, what the hell is all the fuss about? And just look, <coughs> even for a few minutes, mindfully and consciously there, what is this issue, this stuff, these problems, it's just a little variation, some influence of memory and habit, yes, yes, some thoughts, yes, yes, a few feelings, a few projections, a bit of desire, what else goes in the soup, um, some uh, expectations, a bit of reactivity, just a few little things are going on inside and they somehow or other get stuck together and they say, oh God, this is my personality. So a few little things, and it's temporary, arises, they get kind of gluey or stuck together for a little while and then we're just wanting, wanting, needy, needy, needy or complaining, complaining or bored, bored or anxious or anxious doubting, doubting and it hangs around for a while and it seems to torment consciousness it seems to rob us of happiness and love and inner peace because a few little feeling psychological factors just somehow came together and that our welfare our wisdom, our um, way of being in the world becomes totally dependent on this little construction. And Dharma teachings say, see through this construction because if you do, you'll realize the unconstructed, the unconstructable, the unput together able. There's no such word, but you get the idea. So, somehow, in these little constructions, with mostly feelings, thoughts, some impressions, and uh, some tendencies, forming together, can we disempower them? Not because we will then become a kind of robot. No, no. The robotic mind is another problematic uh, mind. But because it releases, so to speak, something out of the uh, uncreated, the unmade, the unformed together, we call it love. It releases love. It releases something extraordinarily beautiful out of the human being. And that interest in that called metta, kindness, friendship, compassion, joy, peace, equanimity. It releases something, as the Buddha said, which is divine. And we're interested in that more than the little variations on the personality. Over the years of mm, talking and meeting with uh, uh, people, I've 
to give one a small example of uh, what I mean, a good friend uh, of mine. In most people would say of him that he is a, um, a Buddhist intellectual. It's no fun in the Dharma world being an intellectual, I can tell you. Because they, people will say, in this case they would say of him, oh, he's out of touch with his feelings. Because he's an intellectual. He's a scholar. He lives in the world of academics. He writes books. He translates. He lives in the, the conceptual world. And I have to say, because I read what he writes, and um, offers uh, some wonderful explanations of the discourses of the Buddha. He's an intellectual. But these Buddhist meditators who have done far too much therapy, hmm. how he's out of touch with his feelings. He didn't know that before. <laughs> he, he's married. His wife didn't know it either. <laughs> she was happy in the relationship with him. But we say, oh, he's out of touch with his feelings. He's an intellectual. Uh, there, he lives in his head, you know, etc., etc. And then he thought, maybe they're right. I mean, well, I've done all this meditation. It's obviously not working for me. I've only been doing it 20 years, and I obviously haven't felt anything yet. So, <laughs> so he thought, well, I'd better go into therapy in Switzerland. Seven years in therapy. Regularly, consistent. Lived in a monastery and did his therapy. Uh, there, uh, every week. After seven years, he came out. You're not in touch with your feelings. And he said he realised it was not a problem. He's a kind man. He's a warm man. He's a friendly a friendly man, and bless his heart, and bless his head, he's an intellectual. We need them. There's too much of this judging of others. The intellectuals, the pundits, as they're called here in India, are incredibly important people. They explain a lot to us. They help to shed light on the meanings of these texts which go back two and a half thousand years, three thousand years, we go to the Upanishads and other beautiful texts. We need the diversity of men and women who can think and think their way through things. And we need men and women who can feel. Uh, we need men and women who prefer to be alone and live their solitary life and love it and respect it and not say, oh, oh she's got a problem, he's got a problem <coughs> connecting, etc. <laughs> I, I went to my friend, she's a psychotherapist, to her birthday party. I love her to bits. She's about 80 years of age. And um, I'm, uh, parties are not my you know, cup of tea if I have to talk. I just, parties where you dance, marvellous. You don't have to talk. <laughs> so, you know, dancing and a glass of Shiraz and it's nearest thing to the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there quietly having my Shiraz and 
whatever goes with it. The, the monk won't even know what Shiraz is. <laughs> it's red wine, you know, it's <laughs> that's enough. And um <laughs> and um so Ursula, the, 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 the therapist, she brought a friend of hers over to talk to me. I loved it. Um, she said, and she knew me well, she's had lots of retreats to me. She said, um, this is Christopher. Um, he's rather a quiet person and doesn't like talking. <laughs> Allah is merciful. <laughs> and um, so I just sat there. <laughs> I had nothing to say. I had nothing to, to say. And she said hello. I said hello. <laughs> and we had two minutes. And then, very understandably, she got totally bored <laughs> and went off to find someone far more interesting than me and uh, I could re return back to my uh, glass of Shiraz <laughs> so what, what I mean in that that sometimes with uh, people some people are the quiet type they love their quietness one of the blessings of being a monk in the monastery, in the first monastery for three years, being an Englishman, I do not have the DNA which allows me to learn a foreign language. It's a, it's a genuine mental handicap. <laughs> and so in the monastery, I was the only Westerner there, which was heaven, because I couldn't speak to anybody and they couldn't speak to me and just had the one Indian monk and occasionally the one Thai monk and he would act as the interpreter for the one-to-ones with the teacher and give the summary of the evening talk and that was just my cup of tea I have, I, I have to say so sometimes life we meet the quiet one the quiet ones and they are precious and uh, important people on this earth and we meet the gregarious ones there and who are outgoing, who are uh, very um, confident and very communicative uh, there. In either case, the intellectual ones and the feeling ones and the active ones and the ones who do not know and even in a relationship to be able to say, I love you. Some women and some men cannot use these words. They don't know how to express with the language the passion of uh, love. And sometimes I'll ask, you know, a person says, oh my partner ne can never say I love you. Never tell me um, the way he cares for me or she cares for me uh, or whatever. And one just asks, what are the ways that are shown and then suddenly, oh, he or she, they, they do so much for me and they're always um, incredibly uh, uh, supportive and they look after the home and, and got some lovely ideas, etc., etc. So, that, in other words, the persona of the person 
that sometimes in the deep of the person, the persona may not offer us what we would like. We want the person to say, oh, I love you. The person doesn't know how to do that with words. But that same person may be showing it in beautifully in other ways. And therefore, we pay respect to the diversity of human beings. I prefer, personally, an appreciation for the diversity than the current ideology of oneness. This ideology of oneness, it, frankly, it doesn't touch me. But the sense of diversity in the scheme of things and all the richness uh, of it, that to me has a vitality to it. That's, Im that's important. <coughs> and just uh, 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 finally, sometimes in the meditations, sitting, walking, standing and reclining, there is no interest at times in anything of the persona. In other words, sometimes, beautifully, sometimes it seems like a miracle, I know, there is actually nothing which is going on inwardly. Not wanting, not complaining, not bored, not anxious, not in doubt, or, or whatever. Nothing of the problematic persona is happening there. And these periods are both precious and significant because the self, in Dharma language, the self can never be in its formation independent of the personality. In Dharma language, the persona and the person go together like wood and trees they go together. So there is no transcendent the self. Because my question would always be on this, who the hell is making the distinction between the big self and the little self? Which self is doing that? Or is it another self? And then we end up completely out to lunch and fragmented. So rather than trying to make a big self and a small self and separate one from the other there you know I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Dharma Walla so forgive me it's a little easier I, for me with the language and explanation to say that the self the I and the me and the my is wrapped up with the persona it is wrapped up very much with experiences I experience right now. I am uh, sitting here, I have the privilege of sharing and talking uh, uh, with you in the eye and uh, persona kind of go together, fuse together, as they say, like uh, uh, wooden trees. And something, there is nothing of oneself going on. There is no history in your roles and identities in the past. It's just not going on in the moment. There's uh, nothing problematic going on in the self, in the ego, or in the persona, in the present, and no concern with the future. So sometimes the personality is 
unusually quiet, not arising, <coughs> not hindering, not getting in the way of. And that can bring from the human being a receptivity to that which is not of persona, which is profoundly in common, in spite of all the diversity. And the sense for that, we want that, shall we call it light as a metaphor, to shine through, to come through there. And in its uh, emergence, shall we call it, in its um, uh, uh, coming through there, there's a different sense of life, and the primary sense is there are no walls, there are no boundaries, there are no limits, there are no boxes, there is no confinement, there is no death. Now, we say, yes, there are aspects of the persona. I want to look at myself. I want to see what's going on. We are providing, as best we can, some of the tools for that. We're not saying, I'm not saying, meditation is the answer. We spoke about this yesterday. There are many wonderful resources and there's a lot of skilled wisdom in this room of working with people's difficulties. So it's just one expression of it going on here. But it's not that persona is permanent. It's not that the personality issues in your life, my life, are going on all the time. It simply is not possible. Therefore I say, they arise at times when there are certain conditions. And sometimes you and I never know when. You come to the retreat and you may have had the thought, oh my God, I've got so much stuff to work out on these days here, it's going to be a nightmare, (laughs) etc. This is an exaggerated form of (coughs) self-confidence. Just because we think something will be like this when we're in a certain place, the inner life doesn't take notice of that thought. It doesn't say, oh, you're right, okay. Come on, come on. I'll take it on the tsunamis and the volcanoes and the earthquakes and all that. Come on, I'm ready for you. Do you think the inner life says, all right, here it comes. That idea before you arrived here, of how it will be, bears no relationship. There's no assurance. (laughs) And if sometimes a person comes and says, God, it's going to be incredibly difficult, I just know it. And then you arrive here, and it is incredibly difficult, just regard it as an amazing cosmic coincidence. (laughs) And some people have been on retreat or have been in India and they say, I can't wait to come to retreat. The silence. I'm just ready for that full awakening. What better place than Budgaya? I mean, mean, what better place? (laughs) Exactly. I can just feel the vibes coming across from the tree. (laughs) Or or whatever. Gosh, I'm sitting here. The chances are, 
the Buddha water cross right here where I'm sitting. He might have taken a piss in the very spot where my cushion is. <laughs> Who knows? Gosh, it's, I'm, I'm all ready. And then you have a multiple hindrance attack for ten days. <laughs> we thought it was going to be the most enlightening awakening that everybody would just see your chakras spinning, your kundalini rising, <laughs> the bright lights pouring out of your body that you've woken up, and you, and you spend ten days bored out of your mind. <laughs> sometimes in life we think it's like this and it's going to be like this and it ain't and sometimes it is life gives no assurance of how we interpret the future because between now and then whoa so much can happen there so therefore I say in the time here if there is an area of the personality, I've touched upon a few aspects, which you recognise does need some attention, please give it attention. What's the change that's needed here? What's the different attitude? What's got to be let go of? What do I need to be clear about? What do I need to have some insight into and attend to it? If in the time that you are here, and, the, and there are those periods of time where there's Genuinely, authentically, nothing going on inside. Don't just say nothing's going on inside. Just, just recognize there's an absence of anything going on. <clears throat> In the absence of, we are not looking for a special experience. We are not looking for a special experience. Just beginning to appreciate, appreciate the absence of there. And take interest be curious about, take notice of, see if something begins to emerge for you. May all beings live with awareness, may all beings see into the persona, may all beings be in touch with that beyond the persona. <laughs>